Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show this Monday morning, afternoon, evening, maybe even the Tuesday when you listen to the pod. Uh, fall camp full swing. Want to make sure that if you are not a subscriber to DuckTerritory.com, you've got basically a day, maybe a little less, depending on when you listen to this, of getting 50% off an annual membership to DuckTerritory.com. Highly encourage you to do that. That's the easiest way to support all three of us to continue doing these po- these shows. Getting ready for almost a, a, a daily basis once the season starts. Um, and I, I think it's we provide the best coverage out there. I, I'm biased, but I think that's true. Uh, and, you know, I, it's, this is the best way to support us, and you can save money doing it. So get that out of the way. Make sure to check it out on DuckTerritory.com. But – Today's show, guys, mailbag, um, football is in full swing, and I think with that, it rings what's happening on the field and also what's happening on the recruiting trail with it. When was the last time we did a mailbag? It's been a minute. It has. I could go look that up real quick. We want yeah, to give that to me. This might be our first. This is definitely our first of August. I don't know if we did very many at all in July either, to be honest. So fun, good to be back. Happy to be answering some questions. I'm sure some of you have been anxiously waiting to get your questions answered on our show. Um, Matt, do you have one of the most? Recent? Oh, man. I have to uh, select the load more button. Oh, so it has been. It has it's been, been a while. while. Did we not do it? Is, is, it, is it June? June 21st is the last mailbag nice. that we did. Uh, wow. If, if I mean, if we really want to pull back the onion here a little bit, uh, the month of July is basically our month to get vacations in. The second half of June is the last month, to, you know, when we get our vacations in. And I think all three of us were gone for extended periods of time during that stretch. So that, that explains why the mailbag was gone for a little bit. Yeah. Well, welcome back. Mailbag is back. And I think we'll, this is going to be another regular staple. I think we're planning through fall camp and certainly through the season of, of making it Probably Mondays. Maybe we'll move it around, but definitely more mailbags coming up. So, all right. First question from at Drew Goalie. Assuming Bo Nix wins the starting job, should we expect any of the backups to transfer? Hashtag Um, I just thought we'd start with some quarterback talk in general, but to answer, let's start by answering Drew's question. Um, I think it's kind of hard to predict for a few reasons. I think what makes it somewhat difficult is the uncertainty about, and let's say then let's say his hypothetical, which I think we believe is likely to be the case, which is Nick's will win the job, holds true. It's hard to know what to think about in 23 until we have total confirmation from Bo on if he's going to come back or not. He does have another year. I've seen that brought up in comment sections before of like, you guys are talking like he's definitely done after this year. Well, that was what he said when he came out here. Like, there, it was on the record, I think, on local radio back in Auburn. I know we had a couple yeah. people saying you guys are making it up or something like that. No, you can go find it. I don't have it in front of me. I, I maybe I should have pulled it up so I'm not fake newsing. Um, but th- that, that he said that. That's been said, and I think unless we, until we have total clarity that that's the case, it's kind of hard to make a prediction here. And I say that because if he wins the job but he decides he's not coming back in 23. I don't think it makes much sense for either Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield to transfer before giving themselves an opportunity in the spring. We don't know when Dante Moore will arrive. We don't know the levels of which we, I mean, we expect Dante Moore to be really freaking good. He's number two in our national rankings. He's the number two rated quarterback in the country. I mean, he's, he's the best pro one of the best prospects Oregon's ever landed a commitment from. They also have to sign him. We have to make that note. I mean, there's still a couple of months and things could go, the other direction there. I'm not reporting it well, but I think you have to consider these. So I think it's kind of hard to know. And I don't think there's any benefit for Jay or Ty to transfer before the season starts because he won't be able to play immediately. Um, 
I, I, I don't, I mean, wouldn't you rather stay at Oregon hypothetically and you're an injury away from potentially being the starter for the rest of the season and maybe you prove yourself then? Maybe two injuries happen. I mean, that's not the craziest thing in the world. Oregon just lost like four of its top five linebackers last season. Mm-hmm. If, if yep. two quarterbacks go down and, you know, and, and let's say you're hypothetically Jay Butterfield's a third quarterback and he decides to transfer in, in August because he's not the starter in September, you're probably going to be at San Diego State or UNLV or wherever he ends up thinking, well, if I would have just stuck at Oregon, I might be the starting quarterback now. And, and, and A, that might have improved my stock for starting in Oregon in 23. Or B, what if I did really, really well and then suddenly I'm more attractive as a transfer candidate somewhere else even. So getting game action, I think, for both Ty and Jay would be a benefit. And sticking around throughout the season, to me, would give you more of an opportunity to do that than right now where they both basically haven't played more than a handful or two of snaps. I don't. I don't think they're going to transfer. Would it surprise me though? No, I, I don't think it would be the biggest shock if one of them left if they didn't get the job. Now, would I be surprised if both of them stay after the twenty twenty three season when a starter has been named, the season has gone through the the grind? Yeah, that would surprise me. Um, when you have more, and when you have Ty, and you have Jay, and if they add anybody else between them. But like Eric just laid out, the the job is still there for them to win next season if Bo sticks with his plan of being at Oregon for only one year. I mean, he's listed at, on the roster at Oregon as a senior when he has two years of eligibility. So I think the expectation is Bo's gone. And so you use this as a, a, a way to position yourself to be the, the front runner for the gig next spring. And – I don't know if Dante Moore is going to enroll early or not, but even if he does, Ty and Jay are going to have a really big leg up on Dante going into 2023 spring. And that's not even knowing if, like you said, Eric, maybe Bo gets hurt and one of them has to play four games during the 2022 season. So I don't, I don't think we should expect one of them to transfer this season. Yeah. Like like Matt said, there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, if, if Nick's if we all assume that he's the projected starter, which you know looks to be the case as we head into to week two of fall camp, um, there's still a lot of uncertainty. So yeah, Ty and Jay could eventually find themselves in the football field for a long time, a long long period of time, um, and maybe Nick's because he was injured uses his second year eligibility. Um, or maybe he doesn't. And I was really trying to find where he said that, Eric. I, I, I couldn't do it. Uh, I didn't know what, what keywords to look up. So that's on me. Um, but moving forward, you still have Ty and you still have Jay, um, both younger guys, both competitive, both talented individuals. And like Eric was mentioning, Dante Moore still has to sign with the Ducks. Obviously, having him committed is a good step. Um you know, you look at USC where Malachi Nelson was visiting AM over the weekend. That's still good. There's still always going to be those those rumors and those visits because this is what uh, this is what I would do if I were a 17 or 18 year old five star recruit. This is what you would do. This is what anybody who's listening would do after they, you know, if they're a five star highly rated quarterback, go out and I don't know, have fun, go, go to these different schools. So that's a different story. But um, in terms of Answering uh, Drew Goley's question of would I expect one of them to transfer, my question or my answer is I don't know, maybe, because that's just kind of how the transfer portal is nowadays. Is that you can jump into it whenever you'd like and you get that one free voucher for a transfer. And yeah, but Jared, it's not. It doesn't kick it. He couldn't play. They couldn't play at their school. I think it's different in the spring than the fall. Yeah, yeah of course, but. Yeah. That, Are we talking like Bo Nix is named the starter two weeks from now and then two weeks in one day one of these guys are transferring? Or it's like that's what I that's, that's, that's how I'm reading it. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. If we're talking in general, then I like if Bo, like if the order of operations is Bo Nix is named the starter and at some point will one of these guys transfer, then yeah, I probably think at some point one of those guys do do transfer, but I don't think it's like the next day. I don't think it's like an order of operations that way, personally. Yeah, I don't think it would be the next day either. Would I? Could I see it happening further into the year? Yeah, I think if there's, I think the the best, maybe not the best possibility, but the most likely possibility is that 
somebody is named a starter and someone is very clearly the number two quarterback. And as the number three quarterback, they have to decide whether or not they want to stick it out to be the number three quarterback or they want to try and go be the number one quarterback at somewhere else. So I think if that situation manifests itself, then yeah, you could probably expect there to be a transfer. But as of, as of now, I'm not sure that there is a clear two. I'm not sure that there's a clear one. So it's, it's going to be an interesting fall camp. And to, to touch on that, like if the quarterback wants to transfer to go be a number one somewhere, realistically, the only place that they'll have that high probability of achieving that is at the FCS level. So it would be like, let's just say Jay loses the job and all of a sudden says, hey, Portland State hasn't figured out who their starting quarterback is yet. I'm going to just dip down to the FCS level and go play at Portland State. And that's for a quarterback that's got like three years of eligibility. That's a that's a big step down. If this was like a, a transfer where if Bo Nix lost the gig. Right. He only has one year of, of college eligibility. That would make more sense in my eyes where, hey, I just need to go somewhere and who cares if it's at, at the FCS level. I just need to play and ball out because this is my last year. Yeah, no, and I think the point I would just make is is unless it's so definitive who the number two is that the third guy is like, I have no chance yep. of ever being the starting quarterback here. I don't think Oregon staff wants to operate like that. I remember talking oh. to Kenny Dillingham about it, about just how difficult it is to carry quarterbacks on a roster and kind of that tough, that kind of tightrope act you have to pull off of. You want everybody to be happy because people want to start and play right away. And to do that, some people get their feelings hurt and then they end up leaving and it hurts the program. So I, and that's why I come back to is if Nix isn't on the roster for 23, I know we're, we're kind of belaboring this one. So we'll jump to the next question soon, but if Nix isn't on the roster or isn't expected to be in 23, you would probably you have a, just about as good of a chance of being the starter at Oregon in 23 as you would at most of the schools you would transfer to. And that's where I just don't necessarily see if I see the benefit of transferring to a place where you have no chance of playing in 22, practicing with the team, unless unless you get a 100% guarantee somewhere else. And if that's the case, then that's probably somewhat disingenuous because I don't think you can transfer anywhere and expect to be given the starting job unless, as Matt said, it's like down a level. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, next one from at Scott Harper 24. I think this is a first question from Scotty. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, the question is with the hype around Christian Gonzalez, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, DJ Johnson, et cetera. It, it feels like Dante Manning has been getting overshadowed in a way. I think with Lenning, he's my breakout player this year. People forget that this was an elite five-star. What do you think he has to do to improve to get there? Um, first he has to play and play a big role. I mean, I think that's why we're not talking about him in the same terms as we are with some of the other guys. And, and I know it's probably unfair because Justin Flo has actually played less. Um, DJ Johnson has had an inconsistent role, but like Noah Sewell and Christian Gonzalez are both all conference caliber players last year. And Gonzalez is at a different school. Sewell's obviously at Oregon. There's, that's, that's why they're receiving so much, you know, um, hype. And I, Brent, I think Brandon Dorless needs to be in this conversation of top players we're talking about on defense. Um, because I think in terms of, on field production, he's had more than most of these guys. I think Dante Manning is super talented. And like I, I, I saw somebody on the message board saying today that they thought maybe there'd be a one of the true freshmen could jump Dante in the starting lineup. I think that's pretty absurd based upon what we've seen. I mean, I, I think Manning was in a situation last year where he was like he and Triquez really were pushing DJ James to win that job. DJ had the off the field thing. Both of them had an opportunity to prove themselves and DJ came back and to his credit had an awesome back end of that year. I thought he played really, really well. Mikhail Wright was a, a starter no matter what. He'd been, a, you know, he came in and was was really productive right away, ended up starting for several years before going pro. There wasn't a lot of opportunity. This is Dante Manning's opportunity, right? This is his chance. And yeah. I, I expect him to start and I expect, I don't know, I still think he's going to be the second best corner on the team because I like Gonzalez better. Um, but I don't think he's going to be terrible. And I also – I don't know if he'll be my breakout player on defense. So there's a couple other guys I like more we've talked about in the past. But um, I think he's certainly a name to be aware of, and I hope he doesn't get overlooked because I do think he'll be a starter all year. I, I, yeah, I think he starts for Oregon. Um, I think he is relatively good for Oregon. Um, he played in quite a few games last season as a second-year freshman. 
Um, he, he played in 13 of their 14. He had one start, which was the Alamo Bowl, um, when a couple guys did not play in that game. And he was overall okay in 2021. 21 total tackles. You know, he made 14 solo. He had one tackle for loss. He had 258 snaps on defense. So, you know, that's about 20 or so, you know, a little under 20 snaps per game um, on the defensive side of the football. He had three, almost 400 total snaps, which means a lot of that came on special teams. So he played quite a bit overall, but some limited. I think there's just going to be some growth with him. Like there might be a game where he's really good and doesn't get burned. And then there might be a game where he's going to get picked on because Gonzalez is the proven commodity. And if when you have this type of a situation, we saw it play out years ago with Thomas Graham and Diamond Lenore. When one guy's proven, one guy really isn't, the unproven guy is going to get picked on until he shows that he's equal level. And I think that's what we're going to see a lot of this season early on is teams maybe shying away from throwing at Christian Gonzalez Instead, going at who Dante Manning is lined up on. Scotty H., welcome to the Dante Manning hype train. Uh, I've been driving this thing since spring camp. Um, in terms of answering the question and just what do I want to see him improve here, um, he needs to get healthy first and foremost. Yeah. He's had a lot of injury history in his career at Oregon, especially in the 2020 season, the COVID-shortened one. Um if you've been listening to my uh, listening to these podcasts, you know my take on the 2020 season. I throw it out the window. Um, so last season, like Matt just went through, uh, you know he played a de- played in most of the games. Started the Alamo Bowl because you know DJ James and Michael Wright weren't um, like uh, like you mentioned in the question, Scotty. This is a former five star guy, an elite athlete. Um, certainly has all the physical tools and those type of intangibles, but needs to like I said on the last podcast with cornerbacks. Um, you got to work on your skill set. You got to work on your technique. You got to work on your footwork. Uh, man coverage is extremely difficult. Uh, this is why cornerbacks are highly paid in the NFL and, and a hot commodity. This is why they go, you know, in the top ten overall in the NFL draft. Um, Manning is he, again. He has all the physical traits. He needs to improve on his technique. He needs to get healthy. He needs to perform better in man coverage. Um, I don't think the defense last year really showed how a cornerback could perform in man coverage with how soft of zones they usually played and how little actual man coverage they played. I don't know how much different it will be this year. I don't think we've really d- dived into you know, the the amount of man coverage that the Oregon will be running in 2022 compared to zone or whatever that case may be. But I do expect it to be more of a physical defense and with – Manning's long arms and his athleticism, I think that's going to really help him if he's physical at the line because he can catch up to nearly anybody um, unless it's an absolute elite speedster. So those are the the, the couple things that I want to see him improve on. Um, you know, I, I was very high on him in spring camp. I think he and Christian Gonzalez are going to be the starters just like Eric and Matt. Um, I think Gonzalez is probably the better corner right now. I just think that Manning's upside is a little higher. Um, I, I don't know. I just like the physical traits that Manning possesses a little more than, than Christian Gonzalez, even though Gonzalez is pretty much your ideal looking cornerback and one of the, one of the better, better physically imposing players on the team in the secondary. Um, that's really nitpicking there. That's just a personal preference. Um, I do think both of them will be good. Um, as far as a breakout player, though, I don't know if Manning is a breakout player. I guess it's probably because he hasn't performed yet. But I think there are, like Eric mentioned, I think there's a couple other options that I would I would take over Manning. Let's and let's hold that because I think the next question is asking for those kind of answers. Um, mm-hmm. I just have two thoughts on just to wrap up this and not belabor it too much. Um, I think Gonzalez and Manning are fairly similar athletically and size wise. Um, I mean, Gonzalez was also a track guy who ran like sub ten six. Oh, boom. Uh, In high school in Texas, uh, both of them are tall, longer guys. Manning, though, athletically is about as special as anyone's had it. He's a a different body type than I think a lot of corners are. He does look similar to to Diamador Lenore, but Lenore's like junior and senior season compared to uh, Gonzalez's like sophomore season. And then it's an interesting body type. 
the last thing I was going to say is I, I do think you'll see, based upon what Georgia did, a lot of man, a lot yeah. more man than we saw. I, I don't have – if someone someone put this up, someone uh, sent this to me on Twitter, if there's like a website that has the breakdowns of what a collegiate defense is playing in terms of man or zone coverage or what kind of scheme they're running on, like a I'd love to know like if we could have that in compared – it could be an interesting story, compare what Georgia did last year to what Oregon – did the last couple of years. I just think that might be interesting and kind of perceiving how things might change. All right. Third one is, and I kind of hinted it might be something about a breakout, but from at be a duck 93, which second and third team players do you predict will surprise this season by playing beyond their expectations? I want to start at running back because I just think I don't, first off, I don't know what the order is. I know we've talked about this a little bit, but I think there's a bunch of guys that are, in play, in line to play and guys you would perceive. I think we all kind of perceive Brian Cardwell as the quote unquote number one. And I think that's fair. Cause I would probably still pick him to start, start this season. Um, but I also think like between Whittington and dollars and Irving, I, I think all those guys are going to, I could see any of those three guys being the team's leading rusher. And that would certainly be beyond the expectations set for them. Um, so I, I would say the group of running backs are an easy choice. For me, um, I look at maybe a Patrick Herbert, and I don't. I, I want to see him healthy. This is more based upon just the way the roster is constructed. I haven't seen much of what Patrick can do since coming off injury. Honestly, practice has been a little bit limited in terms of what we've actually been able to see. But somebody, at, somebody's going to be the third tight end, and somebody's going to play quite a bit based upon what yeah. they're talking about and how they how they want to utilize tight end. So I think that's another one on offense. I think there's so many receivers that second and third team. I don't even know. I mean, I don't know if there's even enough balls to go around for – we mentioned Caleb Chapman a couple of days ago. Maybe he would be a pick for somebody to just kind of keep an eye on. Um, running down, like, defense, I still – I'm on the Trevin Mai, Casey Rogers. You know, I think a guy who has been a starter but who hasn't been mentioned much but I think will play a, a pretty sizable role, like it doesn't get discussed, is Mace Funa. Um, I, mean, I think Mace is – started more games than most of the guys in the front seven returning and we rarely talk about him i think that's a name to know um and then i guess in the secondary i still i still think steve stevens is a guy who i don't know where he's gonna fit but this guy started eight games last year he started over brian addison i know tricoise bridges was playing corner at the time so it's not exactly the right fit but there's a reason that the previous staff liked stevens better than addison so i would say that's another name that i'm keeping an eye on I think, for whatever reason, can I claim Keon Ware Hudson? Because I know he started games, but when we talk about the defensive line, I feel like he's the fifth, sixth guy we talk about. I mean, Dorless is obviously number one. Um, Popo is up there. Taki is up there. Um, we throw Braden Swinson. Eric brought up Trevin Maai, a guy I would agree with. Um, I just I, – I think he's a guy that wasn't healthy last season and late in the year, and the perception of him would be a lot different if he didn't get hurt last season. And I think he could be – he could end up being a starter, but I think at the end of the year there's a good chance he's an all-conference caliber guy. Um, I just think he's going to be really, really good for Oregon. Um, I also think – you look at linebacker and Jackson LaDuke is going to be someone who he's a third year redshirt freshman. Um, I know Jared's really high on him, but he hasn't really played a ton. And I, I, I think he could push his way into where he, he just has to be on the field uh, in, in some capacity. And, and then I don't want to take Triquez Bridges because he's played a lot. But a lot like Keon, I think he could have an all-conference, whether it's honorable mention or second team or third team. I just think Bridges is a Swiss Army knife, and because of that, could be used in a whole bunch of different ways and have some high-level success. And at the end of the year, we're looking at a guy that is pretty darn impressive. Um, Offensively, it's hard for me. I, I guess if I had to pick somebody on offense i would probably pick a receiver and i would probably do like a a seven mcgee or a chase coda 
being someone who the year prior didn't put up huge numbers, but maybe finds their way on some form of all-conference honors? This is a, a, a difficult one because I think, I mean, defensively and, and for most of the offense, I feel like this team is almost set in stone. There's a few position battles that you kind of wonder about, but looking at who's coming off the bench, I think this is what the question is asking, right? The second and third team guys, Eric? Yeah. Seems to be, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a more difficult one. I thought about offense first, and Caleb Chapman came to mind because I don't project him to be starting. Um, but like you said, Eric, I don't know if there's enough balls to go around for him to really be like somebody who plays beyond their expectations. Um, granted, the expectations for Chapman, although he's really talented and I like what he could do, and so does Dan Lanning, as he mentioned in his last uh, press conference, um, I think the expectations there are pretty low. Um, he's a low-risk, high-reward guy, like I've mentioned before. So I think it'll only take a certain amount of instances for him to exceed his expectations. Um, running back, again, you could you know, anybody you want to pick on the running back list will probably exceed expectations. It just kind of depends on who who's a starter, and that's something that we won't find out for a good bit. Um, now I'm just going to eventually go through every single position group here. Um, I think one of the Jaleels is probably my best bet for the defensive back just because if there's one injury, then suddenly they're thrown into the starting lineup. Um, but they'll be probably starting on the pine for the first the first couple of games of the season, depending on an injury situation. Um, if there is no injury situation, then they'll be on the pine um, just because the guys in front of them are, are better and more experienced. Um, I think some names just, frankly, at safety. Um, I think this will be kind of like the defensive line in a revolving door of situational players at situational times. Um, JJ Greenfield, I think is a name to watch. Uh, he was all over the field during spring camp. Again, so far in fall camp, we haven't really seen uh, enough where there's an instance to a guy to make a play on anything. Um, so we, it's, it's hard to, to get, uh, base these guesses off of what we've seen in fall camp, but, J.J. Greenfield, um, Damon David is back. Um, we haven't seen a whole bunch of him, obviously, but I think he's another name to watch. I just think that's a position like defensive line, like Matt was saying with Keon Ware Hudson, where those are those are positions where people will play a lot and multiple people will play a lot. Um, I think otherwise it's it's kind of tough to predict who's going to be a third-team breakout because I, you know, none of us were going to predict Jeff Bossa was going to be a breakout player last season because he was – a safety, but then because of all the injuries, he becomes this, uh, you know, first team guy. Um, so I think, I think that's the hard part, but those are just a couple names. I, I think people need to keep their eyes on for now. I think the discussion of what defines a breakout star or breakout player also needs to be defined because like, I think the diehard duck fan knows everything in all of seven McGee, but I, I, I guarantee you there's, 10 times as many people out there that don't really realize how good he is, what his special talents could be and his impact on this team might be this season. And by the middle of the year, there's going to be a large part of the fan base going, Whoa, where did seven McGee come from? And he might start. Yeah. I think he'll start, which is why I, I, I have, I didn't, started know, I, didn't too. Do, I didn't know what to do at receiver. It was hard um, because second and third, that's the other thing that's hard about just the second and third team part is there's a lot of assumptions right. being made of who's starting. So like, yeah. I, I think seven will start. So like, if I think seven is starting, I think Hudson's coming off the bench, then I would maybe say Chris Hudson. Right. And I, if I think, if I think Dante Thornton is starting, then I say maybe Chase Coda, but like one of the, like the inverse could be true on a bunch of these things. And that's where you get into like, it's hard. So that's probably an, an answer that would be, a question, sorry, that would be easier to answer once we have a depth chart, an official depth chart from Oregon in several weeks where we can go, hey, this is who they're saying their number ones are. Here are the second and third team guys. Now let's make some predictions. Because I, I, I agree with Matt in terms of it's hard to know exactly what the parameters for who qualifies if we're going off of who we expect to start. Like I, I think Seven McGee is someone we expect probably starts. Or I, I've had him in my projections that way. Um, but a lot of the fans know Chris Hudson way better than they know Seven McGee. Yeah, right now. yeah. Most I think I think people are very aware of Seven McGee, especially after his spring game performance. I don't think, I think so. he's. I, I don't know. I, I think. I think the. I think they are 
the people on our site on duckterritory.com, I think the people that listen to this podcast on a regular basis are, but those aren't, that's not the masses of Oregon football. I mean, you, you go to the, you go and, and collect 25 people that aren't season ticket holders that watch the games on TV, maybe only catch the second half or they, you know, they go to one game a year and while they're huge duck fans, they don't read the preseason magazines. They don't listen to our preseason previews here on this podcast. They, they're not living and breathing Oregon football. They don't know who seven McGee is yet. They, they just then, don't, but they know who Chris Hudson is. They don't know either of them. That's why yeah. I, that's why I said the, the idea that what is a breakout star is tough to define because I, I, a lot of my friends are casual duck fans. They, they, they watch the end of the game, but you ask them right now who seven McGee is. I bet you only a handful of them could, could tell you who he is. Now, some of them may say, wasn't there like some running back from that move to receiver, but they don't know who he actually, like what his name is. So that's why I think like we could even include some of these guys that we think are starters because, and hopefully if you're, if you're unfamiliar, you're getting informed with this discussion, but I just think there's a huge number of people out there that don't know even who some of these starters are right now. This is a good opportunity to say, um, go subscribe to duckterritor.com so we can inform <laughs> you better. Come listen to our podcast so we can inform you better. Um, and I, and Matt, Matt's not wrong in terms of like, I have a lot of friends who are, who are, not season ticket holders, but go to games or big, which can you know wear Oregon stuff. No, no, no a decent amount about the team, but it's funny because I'll, I'll be talking because I we're obviously all really consumed by this, and the people on the message board are all consumed by this, and I interact with people on the message board all the time or on social media who are very much consumed by this. But I do have a lot of my closest friends who are really big Oregon fans. They'll say, but if I'm to ask, like I'll mention guys, and they'll be like, "Oh, who, who's that?" And I'll be like, "Yeah, no, it's this guy," and I'll send them our. 247 player profile. And I go, oh, cool. He's a receiver from Baltimore. That's interesting. Oh, that's Dante Thornton. Oh, cool. And then maybe by the end of the season, or like, you know, after they've played quite a bit, they know who they are. But a lot of these guys are, it's, yeah, it's a casual fan. But I don't know. The exercise was second, third team players. And that's what's hard is because I don't know exactly how sure. we're calibrating that. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive into the last two, which goes to the recruiting trail uh, for Oregon football. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Matt Bream, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack. Three in, two more to go here on the podcast. And yeah, next one from at driver Jeff 88. I think another first time question asker. So welcome, Jeff. With number of top tier recruits dwindling rapidly, should we be concerned about not having any commits or perceived interest from offered recruits at the tight end, linebacker, and offensive line positions? Um, I, I think a couple, I'm concerned about tight end. I mean, I, I, I've yeah. made that one clear before. I, I wrote a story probably sometime in July, just about like, it's not only that there's no commitment, it's that they didn't have one in 22 and that there's not really like a clear guy, even this year that you look at and say like, Oh, he's, he's the top target. He's, he's going to visit and Oregon will have a good chance with him. Like we, 
we came away from the Saturday Night Live event being like, is CJ Jacobson, a guy who's from Idaho, who has, I think, a decent offer list, but Oregon hasn't offered being like, maybe, maybe that's who they're going to end up with. I mean, it's pretty, I think that position's pretty dire. Offensive line, it looked really good after June visits. Like it had so many top tier guys visit and they basically struck out on all of them. Um, Bryce Bolton, I think is a name to know there who Oregon is in good shape with. He camped at SNL. He's an under the radar up and comer, but outside of him and Matt, Matt can probably run down some of those. I'm just going through the names that I know. I don't know if there's another name that I think Oregon's got a, is, is leading for linebacker. There's probably going to be good news by the end of this week. Um, Jerry Mixon announces his commitment to his school of choice on Friday. And Oregon is now the favorite. He's a middle three, mid three-star prospect. who's all, I believe also up here for SNL. Um, but I don't, I can't think of too many other linebackers. Now, Linebacker and offensive line, I feel probably a little differently than tight end. Uh, I do think you need bodies at offensive line, but I, I also feel like if you look at the roster and, and what's there in 23 and beyond, there's enough to feel like you don't have to strike gold in this 23 class to be okay. And more than likely, a 23 signee isn't going to be a huge contributor, just like you know Josh Connerly is the best lineman in the country for 22, and no, none of us are predicting he'll start in 22. Um but there's enough guys there. And then the linebacker, I feel kind of similar. Even if you did lose Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, like we've talked about Jackson LaDuke, Jeffrey Bossa, Keith Brown, Devin Jackson, Harrison Taggart. Amongst that group, um, you've got guys. But I, I do think tight end, like I, I get a little bit concerned there. I know you obviously have at least one more year, probably multiple with Ferguson and Mataval. So maybe I'm a little too being too harsh here. But I mean, Herbert hasn't been able to stay healthy. McCormick. He's already said this is his last year, more than likely. And Terrell Tillman's a converted outside linebacker. And you didn't sign anyone in 22. And you don't look like you have really any top prospects for 23. I know 24, the state of Oregon has like two of the top five in the country at tight end. But tight end of the three is the one I'm probably most worried about. I think at tight end, we'll know our comfort level about that position group mid-October. And I say that because... We'll get a that will give us a good sense of just how often does Oregon play the tight end position and how often do they go double tight end? Um, because when they first got when the staff got hired, I think we all were out here saying like, man, the the passing game might be a little interesting because they might have to go double tight end because they don't have a lot of receivers. There's not a lot of depth here. And through the portal and through traditional recruiting, they've reloaded it. And I just, I just am curious to see how prominent the tight end position is um, in a Kenny Dillingham offense. Obviously the previous staff they recruited where they played sometimes three tight ends um, in certain situations. I don't think we'll see that. I don't think we'll see nearly as many two, two tight end sets um, as we did previously. So I think that could factor in. And then the transfer portal, I, I think that's where the tight end is going to come from in this, in this class. Um, the transfer portal has kind of changed the way you can recruit. You, it might look dire um, right now, but maybe before next season they go and add like a grad transfer to just do a stopgap. Because like you said, Eric, they have got two really established guys. Patrick Herbert would be the third, but he's not been healthy. And so maybe you find a – a transfer who's only going to be here one year and he's kind of that safety net for Patrick Herbert, not being healthy or unavailable. And if, and if he is, you're, you're, you're set. I'm with you. Offensive line and linebacker aren't really big concerns to me yet. Um, linebacker, the PV, a, a linebacker from from San Diego, Lincoln high school, same school from Tucker and Florence came from three-star linebacker, big dude. Mix in, like you said, Eric, he'll make his decision. Ducks are trending there. Um, and it's like you mentioned, it's a position where unless they go out and get like a five-star who just looks at it and says, I'm going to play no matter who's on the roster, it's kind of hard to recruit this position because Flo theoretically could be back. I guess Sewell theoretically could be back, but none of us expect mm-hmm. that. Um, Bossa is if, – if he goes into the next season as your number one linebacker, I think all three of us would say we're – we're comfortable with that idea. Maybe there's some concern there, but he's shown enough in my eyes, at least to say that he's, he's capable of being your, your number one linebacker. 
and it's just who's behind him. And they've got options. So it's hard for that position, I think, to go find a mid-tier four-star player who's going to show up and you know feel confident he's going to play right away just because of the depth they've, they've recruited at. And then offensive line, like there's options out there. Bolton is one that you mentioned. Um, I, I would also look at, um, at, at guard. Um, there's a couple names there. Alani Noah is a three-star from Sacramento, um, California. And then uh, Iapani Lalu, um, he is the younger brother of a current offensive lineman at Oregon. He's a four-star from Hawaii. Oregon's going to get an official, and they're kind of I, – I think they're in the driver's seat if they want to be. And from there, it's just can you shoot for the stars and can you maybe make up some ground and for like a five-star Samson Okanola who's not trending Oregon's way at all. But, I mean, maybe you can get him out for an official visit in the fall and things can drastically change for you. Yeah, not a whole lot left to be said here. I think Matt and Eric have done a really good job of deciphering this. Um, offensive line, I think this season is about accumulating mass in terms of just bringing in guys. I don't think they're going to need, like Eric mentioned, I don't think they're going to need like some five-star, high four-star dude. Um, who they have as backups this season and projected starters for next year are pretty good. I feel confident in that. Um, you know, They still have Kuika Rogers and Dave Ayuli along with Josh Connerly on that 2022 offensive line class. So I think that's a good start. Um, tight ends is where it gets sticky, but I think Matt brings up a really good point of transfer portals. There's, there's an option there. And I'm not really sure what type of tight end you need as a backup to Maliki Madaval and Terrence Ferguson, because those two guys are, they're not polar opposites of what they do, but Terrence Ferguson is much more of a receiving tight end and Maliki Madaval is somebody who can do both and receive and block. And I think that's a good mixture to have. I think you obviously need more depth there in the coming years with Cam McCormick and Patrick Herbert um, and Terrell Tillman being a converted outside linebacker. But I, I think that's a transfer portal addition. And then you push all your chips in for the class of 2024, like Eric mentioned, and then AJ Pugliano and people like that. Um, linebackers, like Matt just went through, I think there's a lot of depth there, a lot of talent, and that it's going to be hard for, it's going to be, you know, there's just not going to be immediate playing time, which I think a lot of guys would prefer if you're a recruit. Um, you look at somebody like Flo and Sewell, where there wasn't like a significantly great linebacker other than ISM. Isaac Slade Matuatia, haven't said that name in a while, um, on the roster, yeah. And and so those guys came in, and they're like, yeah, if, if like Sewell did and like I, I Flo didn't get healthy or Flo didn't get hurt and was healthy, I figured he would get on the field as well during the pandemic-shortened season of 2020. Um, I think that's a situation that a lot of recruits look for. Um, however, you could, if you're Oregon, you could, you know, provide – some sway saying that they don't expect Flo or Sewell back next season. Yeah, Boss is the number one, but who's the number two? Is it LaDuke? Is it Brown? Is it Devin Jackson? Like you, if you come here, you can put yourself into that race to be the number two. And so I think that's an option for them. Um, I, I Honestly, I'm not worried about how this staff is going to recruit the defensive side of the ball. I really just, I'm not even... Yeah, I think they'll get their fair share of really high, highly rated kids. But um, even the the lower rated guys that they have in the class of twenty twenty three now, I've, you know, I've I've been impressed. They all are. They all seem to be dudes. They all have certain skill sets that um, you want to bring to the team. Which is that idea that landing. It's like, well, we have these guys who do some things really well already, and that's what we want them to do, and have them not do something that they're bad at. Um, it's kind of like in baseball when there's a platoon where some guy only hits lefties and some guy only hits righties. Um, every every recruit that that the landing and company seems to be bringing in has a has a already has a plus skill set in one thing, and that's something that they get to work on, and then they get to work on the, what they can't do. So I, I feel pretty confident in these positions in terms of them getting filled in the long run. I have one thought, and then we'll finish it up with the last question. I, I will just say I, I, I would be a little disappointed if it takes Drew Maringer two full cycles before he can land a verbal commitment and sign a player at tight end. Yeah. I, I, and, and I know his recruiting chops are like 
I think he was like the number one ranked recruiter in the Big 12 at Texas one year. Like he's had yeah. really, he's been a successful guy. I don't want to try to like drag him, but like it would be a little just, it would just be, and I know last year was a weird year. He came in late, but it would be just a little bit disappointing if, if he goes over two consecutive cycles. All right. Last one from at G Osterman 01. Does Jurian Dickey stick with the Ducks and sign? And this has been a somewhat hot topic on our message board for a while. In fact, honestly, since conference realignment started, it seems like anytime any recruit that Oregon has is is considered good, like does anything, it's like, oh, they're going to leave and go somewhere else. So, and I understand with Dickey, he did apparently for like a, a summer trip with some family, went to Miami. And I know that was kind of the impetus, if you will, for this conversation. I don't know, Matt, are you concerned? Should we be concerned? I don't think he's, I think he's publicly come out and said, don't be concerned, but it's recruiting. He's really been elevated on the, I mean, I think it's funny because I remember when Jerry and Dickey committed to Oregon, SC fans on the site being like, who is this guy? Oregon's taking some lesser recruit. Ha ha. We never even heard of this guy. And now he's a five-star. Everybody wants him. USC's offered. They're trying to get involved. Um, when a recruit gets elevated like this, it's only natural schools will come calling. We've seen like Georgia and AM and Miami and now USC and all these schools kind of jockeying there. But what's your concern level with, with this? I think I'm lukewarm concerned. Like he says the right things. He's not interested in Miami. But the fact that he went to Miami, the fact that, <coughs> excuse me. He stopped by their recruiting day event is a little concerning. I understand he wasn't there very long, um, but it is a little concerning. And I, I just think that this is something that Oregon, they can't look at it and say, hey, he's in. We've got him committed. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll do minimal contact and we'll, you know, we'll expect him to sign in December. I don't think if that happens, which I don't think it will. Um, you know, I don't think he signs with Oregon. They still have to treat him as if he's an uncommitted prospect and give him the love, keep in constant contact, make visits when he when they can, and be at his school, be at his games when they can. Get him up to campus for uh, visits. That's going to be important. But ultimately, I still think he signs with Oregon. I think just a little bit of me is concerned that. You know, that last weekend before this, you know, recruiting dead period, he was in Miami. And I understand it was a family trip, but he was in Miami and he wasn't in Eugene for Saturday Night Live. He's been to Oregon a ton of times, so you can't fault him for that. But that's just that just felt different to me. So if I'm a Duck fan, I'm I'm lukewarm concerned where it needs to be in the back of your mind because it could happen, but I'm not. I'm not anticipating it right now. I thought Dicky went down there with his seven-on-seven seven team. No, I thought it was his family trip. Uh, I've heard. I've seen multiple things. Then that he that a it was a trip that they took to Miami, but it was also with their seven-on-seven seven team that he went to the University of Miami. Gotcha. Or, so um, that could be it. I mean, that could be why he was I, there. Yeah, I I don't know as much as Matt does on this topic in terms of Intel and stuff, but just me, I don't, I don't think this is a worrisome thing. Um, I would actually have been more worried if Jurion Dickey uh, enrolled at modern day than anything else, because that seems to have been a rumor that he shut down publicly. Um, that's what I would have been worried about more. I think this is a kid, you know, Northern California kid, um, I think his connection with Oregon is really strong. It has been for years now with the old staff, with the new staff. Um, I'm not surprised to see him go visit Miami. Like Eric brings up, this is now a five-star prospect on the top 247. This is a guy who should have been recruited by everybody in the country, wasn't, mm -hmm. and now has moved up and now is being recruited by everybody in the country. Um, this is, a, I, again, this is what I was talking about earlier. If you're in Malachi Nelson, you go and visit Texas A&M. Um, 17, 18 year old kids that want to go out and, and see and see things. And um, I'm sure there's not a lot of trips to Miami that he's that he's probably done. So if he can get one, might as well do it. 
Um, as we'll see the campus, that's a, it's a staff he's familiar with too. Um, I wouldn't, I'm, I'm, I'm not that concerned and it's sure. Yeah. Everything he said publicly has been, been right. I guess, um, that hasn't been the first time that's happened in the history of college football recruiting where he ended up going somewhere else. But, um, I still think that Oregon's in a really great spot here. Um, I still feel like he really enjoys the school and, and still shows them plenty of love on social media channels. And, um, yeah, he wasn't at SNL, but I, I think that's okay. I think he's, he's gone to one already. He proved himself at that SNL and he's already a commit. Um, uh, I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm too worried about this. I think it's interesting and it's newsworthy, but I don't think it's anything that's extremely concerning. I, I I'm sorry. I'm trying to research why Jury went down. It it sounds like he may have made a trip with his seven on seven team in in a in June down there, and then he came back uh, without them. Is is what it is reading like based upon a couple of stories? FYI. It's, it, it's look, I, I just think if Oregon can just get him on campus again and then right right before National Signing Day, if he shows up, that's typically what schools do now is they host that really big recruiting weekend for all their commits and top targets that last weekend. You should feel good. And I don't think it's something that you should be overly concerned about, but it's something that's it's worth tracking. It's just worth monitoring, and that's recruiting. And that's I think that's what – to its core makes recruiting such a popular thing is even though you have a commit or even if a guy committed to another school, there's that sliver of chance things could change or sliver of chance, you know, you could flip a prospect. And for Oregon with Jerry on Dickey, it's going to be, can they hold on to him? And I think ultimately, I think all three of us are kind of in agreement here that they should do that, um, which would be just a massive win for landing and company on the recruiting trail to, to have the five-star join the program. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back later this week with another podcast and then uh, hoping to effort to get a big guest on for our Friday show. So keep on the lookout for that. Until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Peace.